Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Believe in 76ers podcast. I'm Justin Grasso. And I'm Kevin McCormick. And this is a podcast dedicated to covering the Philadelphia 76ers on the Believe Podcast Network. Kev, there was a critical game three. Talked about it in the last episode. We wanted to see how the Sixers performed on the road in the playoffs. It was the first time they were in a legitimate road playoff setting since game seven in Toronto two years ago. Kawhi Leonard shot. Obviously, this isn't Toronto. This is Washington, and um, it it almost felt like Philly. <laughs> it, was, it was weird. It felt like Philadelphia out there. Based on watching it, because like you watch it, I'm assuming NBC Sports Philly. Of course. Okay, just making sure, making sure you're staying consistent with your message. That you were heavily, <laughs> heavily judging. Those Always, who... I am extra. I have Tim Duncan level loyalty to Zoo and Allah. Okay. All right. I'm just making sure we're, we're going to keep you honest here. Um, what did it sound like on the broadcast in terms of like the mix of booze and cheers for the Sixers? It sounded pretty even to me, although I feel like a lot of people said that there was like a strong Philly presence. Even a lot of the players said it after the game, but for a majority of the game, when stuff was going on for the Sixers, there was like a good amount of booze. Like when Joel Embiid had that missed dunk and he was kind of egging the crowd on to lay into him, there was a good amount of booze there. But, I mean, the cheers we could also tell were there as well. Uh, the chants and stuff that a lot of the beat writers were tweeting out that they heard and stuff, I couldn't really hear on the TV. But you could hear a good amount of cheering when the Sixers did get rolling. I got to be honest with you. I got I got a little, a little secret to, to dish out here. So – for those who don't know, I was there, and uh, the Wizards were were pumping in some noise. Oh, it was artificial! The Wizards were pumping in artificial noise. Um, I I suspected it at first, but then I was kind of like, ah, I don't know. But there were points where there was like nothing going on, but there's like it was like the same cheers every single time, and everyone's just kind of like waiting for the action to start and they would do like the let's make some noise and then there's cheering but you're looking around and there's actually like no cheering going on so that was a little strange and then just to kind of confirm my suspicion i asked somebody that works at the capital one arena if that was the truth and yeah they, they pump in artificial noise so Did they even pack the, the arena uh it was it was a good amount there, but like like I said, it, there was a lot of Sixers fans there too. Mm-hmm. Like I I wouldn't say I think a few things were kind of over exaggerated. Like oh it's a, it's a takeover or whatever, but like there was a good amount of Sixers fans there for sure. Like people people traveled and wanted to see, which like it's a Saturday, so some people have off work. It's only a two hour three hour you know trip. They make the DC, but there was there was some uh, help from from the arena workers. Let's just say that. Wow, that is that's something. Yeah, so I I, I definitely <laughs> I thought that that was uh, an interesting little twist there, but either way, it doesn't matter. Even if you know fake crowd noise or not, Sixers dominated Game Three. I mean, it it wasn't even 
It wasn't even really competitive, to be honest. Not at all. I mean, the starting lineup was incredible. I think it was more towards the second half of Saturday's win that you really saw Washington looked just defeated. Like, you pretty much, like, I feel like I forget what play it was. Someone, I think it was Seth Curry, or no, it might have been George Hill threw a lob back door to Ben Simmons for just like an easy wide open alley oop to put them up like 27 and, and Washington called timeout. And at that point, when they were walking off the court, I was like, they're, they're a team that's defeated. They understand that this is game over. That we both agreed that game one was their best chance to steal a game. And it's pretty much stayed true through now because it, it's been clear from the beginning, Washington just can't match the Sixers, which nobody who, you know, watch the Sixers team expected Washington to give them any sort of trouble. But listen, I said four from the beginning and it's still sitting pretty. Well, listen, I, I think, I think I'm joining the team now. Finally. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, like I said, I want, I just wanted to see, cause like the, listen, the Sixers were awful on the road last year, right? They were much better this year, but I needed to see it in playoff environment, especially now with everything kind of getting back to normal because the Wizards had 50% capacity for the first time. So, you know, it makes it a little bit tougher for the Sixers. Plus, they're pumping in artificial noise. And, you know, <laughs> it might mess <laughs> with their heads a little bit. So, I just needed to see that. And, I mean, it again, it wasn't even close. Like, it was just pure dominance. Joel Embiid just had his way with – I mean, he's just bulldozing guys. Ben Simmons just has been fantastic this series. I don't care what anybody says – that six point game, game one, because even game one was a really good game he had. And he's just been like really, really incredible. And then Tobias Harris, you know, consistent. Consistency is key with Harris. Uh, his playoff numbers in the past weren't great. Here he's just like, he's just playing on another level. So, I mean, this this series had just hasn't really been close aside from game one. And even then, like towards the end of game one, Sixers pulled away and it came out to be like a comfortable win. I don't I don't see Washington <laughs> taking taking Monday night's game at all. Not at all. I think I don't know if it comes from Doc Rivers or vets like Danny Dwight and George, but you can tell that there's a heightened focus with this team. Dwight Howard spoke to us during shoot-around before Saturday's game, and he said that this is a business trip for them. And based on how they came out and how the starters played, it really felt like that was their mentality coming in, that they were they wanted to come in, they wanted to just take care of business, they wanted to show Washington that this series was over, there's no chance of them coming back, and to really just drive it home that they're, they're just – the way they've looked in terms of how locked in they are, whether it be Joel, Ben, like up and down the entire roster, you can tell that there is an intense focus there and it's showing so far in their play. And it's great to see after how up and down things were last year and what a roller coaster it was and the vibe. And you could tell that there, there was outside stuff going on and it was affecting this team. You can tell this year that everyone is on the same page they're locked in and everyone is just sticking to that one game plan of they're trying to be the last team standing. Yeah, for sure. I, I think there's a bunch of little factors that went into what makes the difference this year. And I think it's just played out perfectly. Like you have Doc Rivers, who obviously he's Doc Rivers. We all know Doc Rivers. He's a veteran coach. Uh, he's won a championship. And then you bring in Danny Green and Dwight Howard, who obviously, you know, 
Danny Green has won a championship the last three years. So clearly there's something there that he can, you know, give to the current Sixers team to help them out. And then I think really just the mentality between Simmons and Embiid, everyone always says the Sixers will go as far as those two stars take them. Joel is just a man on a mission this year. Like he's as much as he's starting to come out and and play around, like play to the crowd and all that. It's still all business for Joel. It's not joking around. Like he's, he like even playing to the crowd yesterday, he was angry. Like there was like a chip on his shoulder and I I don't even know why. (laughs) Like you're destroying the wizards. You're an MVP finalist. People like are loving you and you're still angry. And that's perfect for the Sixers because he just means business. And then there's Ben, that's just, he's just being Ben. Like, that's it. He's just playing his game and he's playing it perfectly. So yeah, I, I don't see Washington overcoming that. It's funny. Cause like this morning I was working, working on some articles and a picture of Bradley Beal popped up and he was just like sitting on the bench, arms on the chair, like just defeat it. And like, Brad Beal isn't a guy that comes off as someone who's going to be defeated. He comes off as like, he's going to keep playing through until they're out. But that picture just like, just showed how much like Washington is getting dominated in this series. If I'm him, he has to be fuming in that locker room. I mean, he's just been dragging this team to the finish line and all it's getting him is a sweet. I mean, granted Russ finally came alive in game three, but those first two games, he has to be like screaming and throwing things in that locker room because he's doing anything and everything to try and keep them within striking distance. But we have to talk about Joel B for a second. So he goes supernova in game three, but it is just incredible what a vice grip he can have on a game. And the monster dunk is like the prime example of it. So he goes for it the first time. Second, well, first off, the first time he did it, my eyes like shot open because very rarely does Joel and B go to the rim with that kind of force. He misses the first one. He eggs them on. And the worst part is he was looking at that crowd and he's like, guys, I'm, I'm going to do it again. And then now minutes later, they fall for that tiny pump fake again. And he easily just coasts right in. And if this was an old school rim, he was ripping that thing off clean. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, that was my first thought too. like, if this were the nineties, that whole thing was coming down with the force that he brought down with, but it's just insane how he steps on the court and he has just gotten whatever he wants. I think he's missed like six shots through the past two games. It hit a point last night. He had made 21 of his last 29 attempts counting from game three and game two. That is just ridiculous. He is on a new level. It's incredible. It's, it's been so fun to watch game in and game out and, it's he's just having a special season. Yeah, it, it is funny how that that dunk played out because like when he did miss that first one, he literally like had one of those moments where he's like looking in different sections of the crowd and shaking his head like, okay, I hear you. And then I swear I was just like, I I know he's gonna go for it again. Like it was it was like the most predictable thing ever, and everybody I'm sure the Wizards knew it too, and they were just like damn (laughs) like you can't stop him credit to Rui Hachimura because the second time Joel B came down he knew right away to just run for the hills he wanted no parts of that if he would have stuck around that would have been a poster cemented in Philadelphia sports history if he stayed under that rim and if no one noticed it go look at uh, Russ's reaction 
<laughs> because he was so mad that they ducked that. He was just like, are you kidding me? Like, but even, even aside from the dunk, cause I know the dunk is like the highlight play, but when you watch Embiid's game from last night, I mean, that step back is just like, what do you do? Guys that size shouldn't be able to do that. It, it's incredible. I was talking, uh, I believe it was Paul Hudrick. I was talking to him during game two. And I said, it really is crazy for a guy like Embiid who picked the game up so late in like his mid teenage years for his ability to see something and just instantly be able to add it to his game. Like early on in the year with the Dirk fadeaway thing, there was one night that he told us that he had started watching Dirk film and the way he's already mastered the one legged fadeaway and the setbacks are another thing, or you see him spinning in the mid range and being able to just gracefully finish. This is a guy who's seven foot one. 270 plus guys that size are not supposed to be that graceful centers were not made to hit step back jumpers in the mid range. And yet Joel Embiid just continues to amaze it. He's hit the point now with what's in his offensive bag and what he's able to do on all three levels. He truly has hit that type of player in history where he is one of one. Like I know early on he got the Hakeem comparisons, but there's stuff now that he does that Hakeem couldn't, Hakeem couldn't do step backs. Hakeem wasn't breaking guys down in the mid range. He truly has hit that point of generational player where he is one of one. He is an original and it, it's just been incredible to see. It really, it's like, where's this guy ceiling? Because he just has a new trick every single time. And yeah. that that's, I forget. I wish I remembered so I can credit whoever, wrote this but there was something about Embiid and the fact that he can learn something and master it in like three reps it might have been I've been reading uh how to lose by Jake Fisher it might be from that I'm not sure though there you go all right so you got it too um I haven't started it yet though okay so if it's from that then you'll remind me but if you see it in there because I don't remember but somebody said that it really is incredible that Joel can learn something and then he'll master it. Like he'll try it like three, four times. And then it's like, he's got that down. And I think he did it with like that Dirk step. Like he has that down already. So it, it really is just like, what else is he going to bring to the table? Because it, he doesn't even need to bring any more to the table, but he just constantly gets better. And it really is like, it's incredible to watch how unstoppable he is in Washington. Now, again, pump the brakes. It's Washington. It's the Wizards. The Sixers are going to advance. They're not. They're not falling from you know three and zero. Like they're going to advance, and in a way, they should feel accomplished. But if you're around the team and you're hearing what they're saying, they're saying like we're not satisfied. Like we're not accomplished from anything. Like we've done nothing. So do you think they feel should feel accomplished or do you think that they're definitely playing this correctly? Can I say both? Because you can say I whatever like, you want. <laughs> I feel like that's the answer. Granted, now they shouldn't be running around parading, uh, celebrating this win because they still have a long way to go. I think when Doc River, when they clinched the one seed, I thought Doc Rivers said it beautifully on, you know, just how – they should embrace the moment, but still understand the job's not done. And I believe the exact words where he used were it's 
it's not all that we want, but it, it's something you can get on the way to what you want. And I think as they go through this playoff run, that should be the mentality. Like sweeping in the first round, something they haven't done in a while would be an incredible accomplishment. Something fun on the way to what you want of winning that championship. And they should still live in the moment and bask on it, but still keep that focus of, hey, we did this, job's not done. And the job's not done mentality should be what's etched onto their foreheads until they're hosting that that hosting that Larry O'Brien trophy, hopefully in July. Yeah. So I, I see where you're going with the both of it. I, I think they're playing this perfectly because they've been there before. Like they've been to the second round. It's not, it's nothing special. And I think they realize that now, <clears throat> excuse me. I think they realize that now because one, they couldn't get past that before. So it's like they want to break through that ceiling. So just you're the first seed. You're expected to be the eighth seed. There's nothing to celebrate about this. Like you're better than the Wizards. You swept them in the regular season. Like everything is going how it's supposed to go. So there's no reason to get excited and, you know, go crazy over this. So I think until they get past that second round hump, which they couldn't do since this era started of Embiid and Simmons, there's going to be no satisfaction. Because you know Embiid, like we're saying, he has a chip on his shoulder. He has a chip on his shoulder because he wants to get past, you know, he wants to get somewhere he's never been before. So I definitely think that they're playing this perfectly. And obviously, I don't know how much – I know that message comes from Doc Rivers, but I don't know. Maybe Danny Green's preaching it too. But my opinion is whatever that guy, Danny Green, says, just listen to. Because clearly he knows what he's talking about. He's been – on so many teams that have done what the Sixers are trying to do. So if that's what Danny green says, listen to Danny green, because he's the guy who, who knows what he's talking about. I feel like it could even come from the big three themselves, just because of look at all the playoff scars that these guys have together and just their short time to get like yeah, you, true. you brought up at the top, the Kawhi shot. I mean, that was a grueling series. Then everything that went down the bubble last year with getting swept, Tobias struggling, Ben being hurt, Joel trying to do everything and anything he could, and it just not being enough. So I feel like even a guy like Joel, who's so competitive and, and wants to be great so bad, that maybe even he's preached that message. I think having these vets around the locker room, although they have been great voices themselves, I also feel like they've done a good job lifting up Ben and Joel because at the end of the day, like you said, it is their team. This team is only going to go as far as they can take them. They are the franchise cornerstones. They're, they're the all-stars every year. They're, they're on the cover of all the posters and, you know, the meet and greets and everybody wants their jerseys, their shirts and stuff. So it really starts and ends with them. And I think while bringing in those vets has been great to have extra voices, I also feel like it's helped lift them as leaders. And I do feel that, the, the mantra of the job's not done and not to celebrate now could really come from a guy like Embiid as well. Yeah, that's true. I, I'd agree with that. Cause I, like I said, I, I think he has a completely different mindset this year and it seemed like he had that last year, but it was more of like a bluff because he was just like so out of it last season. Like it was just a very strange season for Embiid. But anyway, like we said, the Sixers are going to the second round. It's inevitable whether they, even if they drop game four, they're going to win game five because then the Wizards come to Philly 100% capacity. Listen, I'm going to say this now before I get before I get to our uh, our next topic here. The Sixers might not 
lose a single playoff game at home this year. I believe it. Listen, I was there for game two. 50% capacity sounded like it was packed. You know, everyone was crammed shoulder to shoulder. 100% capacity, it's going to sound like a war zone. Like I, I can't teams, believe how loud it got, 50%. Teams that come in to Wells Fargo Center moving forward once they're at 100% capacity do not come in looking to play a basketball game. You need to come in ready for war because not only – this team is incredibly locked in. You have to get ready for Joel Embiid, for Ben Simmons, for Tobias Harris, for Matisse Thibel, you name it. Not to mention now they have a crazed fan base behind them who is going to scream and boo you out of the oblivion and might even throw food at you. So who knows? <laughs> the, it Let, is let's going hope to not. Be, let's hope not. I don't, I don't want to talk about popcorn anymore. I'm so It's going that. to be a war zone. These Philly fans, they are crazed. They are loving every second of this team. You know, Philadelphia is a crazy sports town, and whenever one of the teams get hot, people come in masses to cheer them on. We saw it with the Phillies in the, the late to early 2000s, 2010s. And the, this, Sixers, this Sixers team, you know, in the past few years, Wells Fargo Center, there's a reason why the Sixers have been one of the best home teams in the entire NBA over the past few seasons, and it's because – of that capacity crowd. And now that they're all going to be in there hundred percent screaming their heads off, it, it, it's going to be crazy. Yeah. And that, that's exactly my point is like, I don't, I don't think, I don't think any team is, is going in there and winning a playoff game. But aside from that, like I said, inevitably going to the second round, chances are they play Hawks or the Knicks. So who, who do you think is the ideal matchup for the Sixers? to win and go to the Eastern Conference Finals? It might have to be New York, to hmm. be honest. I I mean, either or, I think, is a more favorable matchup for the Sixers because whoever they get, it's still a team with a lot of youth and a lot of inexperience. And as you get deeper into the playoffs, the Sixers have seen it firsthand. They've been the victim of it. At, at a point in the playoffs, experience wins out. And these are two teams with – very they're young stars right. who have very little playoff experience together so i think the sixers are going to have that edge but looking at that atlanta team they although they're the five seed and they kind of underwhelmed for early on in the season they got a lot of firepower you got trey young you got bogdan bogdanovich you have danilo gallinari john collins lou williams off the bench kevin herter they they have a lot of nice guards who can put the ball on the floor and they also have a lot of size they have clint capella they have john collins that they're one of the few teams who have that kind of front court size that could combat the Sixers and give them a little trouble on the glass. So if I'm looking at these two teams, it's got to be New York. I mean, they have Julius Randle, and then it is a steep drop-off to their second and third best player. And I know D. Rose is going off for 30 points in games right now, but Tibbs is running them, you know, to the <laughs> gas tank showing up. And when you get into a second-round series with the Sixers, that's going to wear you down even more. I think that's a matchup that they could exploit rather easily. Yeah. I we we talked about it not on the podcast before and you were like cuz I was like I don't know if the yeah, Sixers want to see yeah, the Knicks. Yeah, keep it on You said oh you the Knicks might out. be a tough matchup. Yeah, come I on. still I still think cuz So like, are you picking Atlanta? Not yeah, yeah, for sure. What? Atlanta Listen, Trey Young is not coming into Philly and doing what he's doing at MSG. First of all, he's the new supervillain. You see what he's doing in the Mecca? 
The Sixers do not fear Trey Young. I'm telling you that right now. I can't imagine Trae Young, what a Philly Trae, crowd would yell at him. Yeah, exactly. Trey Young is a great player. I'm not. I don't want to discredit him, but like he's not coming in the second round, coming to Philly and like shushing that crowd. Stop it. Every time, every time he touches the ball, he's oh my god, it's gonna be so bad. Anyway, the Knicks. Just based judging off of watching the Sixers play the Knicks in the regular season and then the Sixers playing the Hawks in the regular season, the Knicks are a matchup that Philly will win for sure and probably win in like four or five games, but it's going to still be exhausting because they can wear them down. Atlanta, I mean, we watched Philly. Granted, they didn't have Trey Young for that second game, but like we watched Philly destroy them two times in a row. And then the one game that they lost – I think the Sixers, the Sixers barely had a team because that was during, you know, the COVID, the whole COVID. I think Mike Scott started <laughs> like, oh like that. That's what we're dealing with here. So I either way, I don't see it would have to be a real shock to see the Sixers lose in the second round, whether they play the Knicks or the Hawks. I, th- I personally think the Hawks are more favorable because like that New York series will wear you down like Philly versus New York. Sixers got to go play at MSG, a hostile environment. Listen, I I still think that's the favorable matchup. It's, first off, we saw what going against Joyce Randall did for Tobias Harris, so I would love to see that in a playoff atmosphere. I need post-fadeaway in the clutch. Turn to, imagine that moment in a packed Wells Fargo Center, where Tobias Harris hits that post fadeaway in the clutch, turns to the crowd and is screaming, I'm an all-star. Like, that would just be incredible in a full-capacity crowd with, you know, the playoff atmosphere and such. And what are you scared of? The Alec Burks and Nerlens Noel revenge game? Like, hey, 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 listen, season? listen, 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 listen. Alec Burks looked good in the playoffs last year. And Matisse Thibel will put him in prison. If I'm they're not to be in, in the second round, I, I question the firepower that New York has. And when you look at that Atlanta team, although the pick and roll defense has improved a little bit for the Sixers, it's still giving them trouble. And the game that Trey did play early on, he gave them trouble in the pick and roll. So I, that's something that I feel like they, they're going to run a lot and it could wear on Embiid. You're going to try different things with him as well. So I don't know. I, if I really had to choose, the Sixers win either series in my eyes, but if I had to choose, I'm picking New York. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the experience for once, finally, the Sixers have the experience advantage in that you know situation. So I, like, like I said, I I prefer Atlanta. I don't think I don't think either team is is coming and beating the Sixers. So. I mean, I don't want to guarantee a Eastern Conference Finals appearance for Philadelphia, but I, I feel it coming. But anyway, speaking of teams losing, <laughs> the Miami Ooh. Heat ended. Uh, they're done. So there's that. Jimmy Butler is not stupidly locked in. He's just working out 4 a.m. for nothing at this point. Listen, you said it from the beginning that you felt they were a fluke. I pretty much gauged this series of a meter of how, you know, truthful that statement could be. And looking at it now, granted credit to the Milwaukee Bucks, they have looked extremely impressive. I think from, you know, the the last few weeks of the regular season heading into those playoffs, 
I think Milwaukee really showed that they closed the gap between being a, a slightly tier below the Sixers in Brooklyn and being their equal. The addition of Drew Holiday has done wonders. Bryn Forbes went berserk in round one. I think he scored more points in the series than Jimmy Butler did. That is just insane. And that Miami team, they're not that good. Tyler yeah. Hero. Probably should have traded him for James Harden. <laughs> Probably. I mean, only, only all of NBA Twitter. Who yeah. NBA Twitter has its flaws, but I think everybody in the world knew that, like, James Harden is more valuable than Tyler Harrow. Like, come on. And now they're in this weird spot where you just got swept in the first round. Jimmy Butler isn't getting any younger. Not to mention he's about to just – be jimmy the jimmy butler pass is about is about to come out again i mean we saw in minnesota we saw here he can be a little testy when things aren't going well and things are definitely not going well down in south beach right now so you have a superstar who's on the you know the other side of 30 the rest of the core is still relatively young with bam duncan robinson tyler hero so what they do now i mean heat culture will always figure it out but it's it's pretty much safe to say their run last year was a fluke now. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I I just I, I can't believe I mean, listen, I gotta give credit to Milwaukee as well. Like they they look good. Like they're that very good. That potential, I'll say, because I was surprised Boston won the other night. That potential Brooklyn Milwaukee series is gonna oh. be like Boston is not Boston has no shot of beating <laughs> New York. I can't I can't just rule them out though. Like we, you know, two to one. It is what it is. Do I think Boston win? No, come on. Jason Tatum had to have 50 points. Jason Tatum's not dropping 50 points every game. This is like this is like Bradley Beal trying to beat the Sixers. Like it's just not gonna happen. But anyway, potential Milwaukee Brooklyn series is gonna be like Let's just say everyone should be happy that the Sixers got that first seed because avoiding that matchup is like is key to getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. But again, don't want to jump the gun. Game four is tomorrow on Monday. Uh, I guess anyone who's listened this far pretty much knows our predictions, but we still give them out anyway. Kev, game four predictions. Get the brooms ready. (laughs) I said from the beginning, this series ends on Monday, and I I wrote it in my notes during game three that this series is going to end on Monday. That's how confident I am of it. Mm. Do you take take notes on the the loose leaf paper? I I do. I'm I'm old school with it, bro. Uh, Nice. 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 Good old old pen and paper. You can't go wrong with that. You can't go wrong with that. I would, I would probably use that more if my handwriting wasn't so bad. I, like, write something down, and then, like, two days later, I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> I don't even know what I wrote. But, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you now. I joined the club. Uh, Welcome. Get the brooms ready. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the sweepers club. Um, I mean, as far as who's, who's going to have a big game. At this point, the big three has a big game every single time. The starting lineup. I mean, I we didn't even yeah. give Danny Green and Seth Curry enough credit. Danny, that is true. Danny Green yesterday. Oh my god. Danny Green. That, <laughs> Danny Green was one of the greatest heat checks in NBA history. <laughs> so the funniest thing is, like, he was just like, like he was just laughing at himself because he just was feeling it so much, and then just pulls up. I don't even know from the angle where I was at. I don't really know truly how far it was. 
but it looked far from where I was at and where I was seeing it. And he just like was laughing at himself. Like <laughs> I tried whatever, but yeah, Danny green looked great. Seth Curry, not hesitant to pull the trigger on his threes, which is like, great. That's what doc rivers has been like begging for that all year. Like, dude, you can shoot and you shoot. Well, anybody <laughs> who would have your shot, unless they're like Ben Simmons is going to shoot consistently. So that, I mean, he's just, he's been fantastic. The whole starting lineup has been fantastic. Um, we're still rolling with the all bench lineup. Not really sure. <laughs> Not really sure how long that's going to last. Uh, like we said the last time, I feel like it's still, we're trying to figure out who belongs so we can not roll out the all bench lineup. But I mean, again, I, I don't, I don't know what doc rivers is thinking. He, he shocks you sometimes, but Oh, before we get off too, uh, Tyrese Maxey checked in before shake Milton. Are we, are we, uh, putting stock into that now? I don't know it. I feel like doc gave a very good answer about it when he said that with Washington going smaller, uh, with Washington going bigger and their starting lineup and smaller in their second unit, he wanted to add a little more juice and a little more speed to the, the second unit. So that's why he decided to go maxi over shake. And I, I feel like there is some logic to that. And that makes a lot of sense when he said it, but shake just continues to struggle, man. Yeah, I, he did not look good like at all. Something's up with him. I, I started thinking about it when Maxi came in during Game Three. I guess I can ask you now: Do you think that Maxi playing so well is messing with Shake mentally? I do think that. Do you think um, that, that that's playing a part? Yeah, because there's times where, and this is not to knock him because obviously he's young and this is something that he can work on. Because, you know, all younger players are a little insecure about certain things because they just want to crack the rotation. Like, they just want to be a key part of their team. But there are times when Shake will kind of make a mistake and they just pile on after that. And that's kind of – it's kind of because he's just, like, so in his head. And I do think that – Tyrese coming out and obviously he gets all the love from Sixers fans when he comes out, you know, in front of the home crowd. And then he, I mean, he really just brings a spark off the bench and just gives the team that energy that they need. And I think that could be a factor. I mean, obviously I don't know shake that well, so I'm, I'm not totally sure, but in my opinion, I do think that that's something that is playing a part to his struggles right now because he really, I mean, there's not a point in this playoff series where that gave me any, like, type of confidence Confidence. in Shake Milton to, like, beat out Tyrese Maxey in the rotation right now. Yeah, it's it's tricky. And, you know, the way everyone loves Tyrese this year, that was Shake last year. Shake was, like – this this golden child that came about and it was you know oh we have the have him on this incredible deal and he got taken so late in the draft and, and the way he emerged and now a year later they have this young guard who is getting better every day behind the scenes you know we're not there for practice but if they're matched up in practice I'm, I'm gonna assume Tyrese is going at him and he doesn't let up and I think seeing that and going against that and every time like we've said before every time Tyrese Maxey goes out there he makes it harder and harder for Doc not to play him. And, and a guy like Shake might see that because they're they're kind of in that same field of, you know, combo guards who could complement, you know, the roster could pretty much play around anybody with the way they've grown. So 
I think as Tyrese Maxey continues to shine, I think in the back of Shake's head, it might make him a little nervous. Yeah, and these last two games, too, with the way the Sixers have just been, like, blowing out the Wizards, they're getting that extra quarter of putting in their bench, guys. So (laughs) that should be the time when Shake Milton comes out and, like, just destroys the competition and says, like, hey, I'm still this guy that – broke out last year because obviously we know that he's like able to to stand out like that but he's just inconsistent and like we see that like Furkan's the same way like Furkan will come out and shoot the lights out but then there's another game where he's bricking everything so it's like you know inconsistency is a thing but there hasn't been a moment yet in these playoffs where Shake comes out and stands out like it's more so he's standing out for the wrong reasons and I think it's getting to the point now where they're going to get to that second round. And I think that rotation starts to cut a little bit. And I think shake is on, on the chopping block. Yeah. I had Furkan as the guy who was kind of like on the fence could potentially be the guy outside looking in, but he didn't look spectacular in game three, but I thought he definitely looked better, you know, with, you know, putting the ball on the floor, trying to create and such, and just trying to give something, but shake is just something's up. He, he just doesn't look like himself. And, and like you said, in, the next series, the the rotation is likely to cut down and it's time to start getting more serious and to prep for a matchup with Brooklyn, with Milwaukee, potentially down the road. And if he keeps playing like this, you you really can't roll him out. Like, it's just it, – it's that plain and simple. Yeah, and it, it's unfortunate, but I think that game, game four, sorry, he will have probably his final opportunity to kind of stand out. I mean, it, obviously, as long as – everything goes the Sixers way. If they play the way that they've played these last few games, there's going to be a fourth quarter for, for tryouts for these guys. So we'll see how that goes. Obviously we think that uh, this one's over (laughs) game four Monday night. Sixers are going to come home on uh, Tuesday and they'll be just watching Atlanta and New York play the rest of their series out. And um, that's it for today. Thank you for tuning in. Kev, drop your uh, Twitter handle. It's at KevinMCCNBA. Mine's at JGrasso underscore. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.